I went to an early childhood Australia conference in Darwin and I, the, I remember this distinctly of, of coming to – and I met an amazing group of people at that conference. It was like 20 years ago, more maybe. Um, and I felt for the first time that I was with my people, with my tribe. The concept of professional identity has been growing in importance in the early education sector as we continue to move away from childcare to a more professional view of the work we do. We start to ask the big questions about who we are. What is a professional approach to working with young children? How does it fit with how the community and politicians view us? What rights do we have as professionals? But just as importantly, what responsibilities do we also have? I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is The Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. This episode, we're joined by Catherine Hyden. She's the Director and Principal Consultant at Hyden Consulting. With a Master's in Early Childhood Education, Catherine has extensive experience in the early childhood sector, beginning as a teacher in a kindergarten program in Melbourne. She has supported educators, services, organisations and policymakers, specialising in early childhood practice and pedagogy, quality improvement, policy and governance. Lisa and Leanne spoke with her on her experience with professional identity in the early education sector. Catherine, what is professional identity? How do we define it? Well, Lisa, it's a it's a big question. Uh, it seems a simple thing to answer, but in some ways, it's a it's a really big idea. And many people probably would look at themselves in the mirror in the morning and go, "Am I a professional?" and not really know how to describe it. I think we've probably um, thought a lot about what it, what it means to be a professional in early childhood education and care over the last you know 50 years or so, and we're just sort of trying to figure it out. And it's become, I think, something that's much more important in recent times. So, what makes a professional? Um, essentially, that we're doing a number of key things that um, separate us out from. Um, you know, other people who work. Um, and those things are lots about what we know, having specialised knowledge. Um, they're a lot about abiding by an agreed code of ethics, um, an agreed way of working. They are also a lot about doing something that is altruistic. It's something that is perceived by the community to be a community good, something that is contributing to the well-being of a community. And also... That has an element, and this is probably one of the things that is probably most difficult for people to get their head around, a component that work, that goes beyond your paid hours. And this is tricky in early childhood because, of course, we have major pay and conditions issues across the sector. The issues around that are really palpable and very real, but there's a lot about being a professional which bleeds into the rest of your life, so to speak. So easy to define in one sense, but quite big in another. Um, mm. I think that's interesting what you're saying about it bleeding into your um, into your personal life, I suppose. Mm. And I'm, I'm interested in a story that you might have about how your own professional development, uh, your professional identity developed and maybe even how you see yourself now. 
It's a very good question, you know, Leanne. It's um, when when did you suddenly think of yourself as a professional? And I I've, I was thinking about this as I was driving today, actually, and um, thinking about when was that magic time that I thought of myself as a professional. I think it um, for me it it happened. I think when I started to get connected with other people who I perceived to be professionals. So there was a moment in that in that space, and the way that it has become reality for me in terms of my work is that I can't really see the world um, through anything but an early childhood lens. Now, that's, I mean, at times that's annoying in some ways because you think, I wish I could stop (laughs) thinking about it. But it means that when I'm in an airport, I'm, and I see children, I'm thinking about, well, who's looking out for children in this context? You know, what are they doing? I'm in the supermarket and I'm thinking, I'm looking at the toddler. Are you looking at the toddler in the supermarket and you're thinking, oh, it's seven o'clock on a Friday. That's pretty tricky for that toddler and you're wanting to really support that mum, but you really just should be buying, you know, you know, tomato sauce or something. You should think, focus, focus on that thing. But really you can't stop being a professional. And I jokingly say to some early childhood educators who I meet, it's like when you're at, you know, you're at a market on the weekend and you think, oh, that'd be great, you know, in my in my early childhood setting, that'd be really fantastic and mm-hmm. I'd love to have that thing, you know, and you can't sort of stop thinking about yourself in that context. So it's more like shades of grey, really, um, and that's what happens <laughs> for me, I think. <laughs> maybe, maybe bleeding is not the right word, but at times maybe that is. <laughs> I do that and I'm not even an educator. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, so, I yeah, think, I I think we would consider you to be an early childhood professional, though, Lisa. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You're a, you get to be a like a you know honorary, like an honorary doctorate. <laughs> yeah, you get to be an honorary educator. So, why is it so important? Like one of the things to me, why professional identity is important is because it's so wrapped up with advocacy, mm. and I do a lot of advocacy sessions for um, educators where I have to first of all explain to them that they are the experts about children, especially children in the not five space, mm. and they don't seem to get that. So obviously, it's important. Um, as in, because it's you know required to be an advocate, but why else is it important? Why why does professional identity matter? I think I could I could probably talk about this for three days really, but um, to it, it's become very important to me in recent times because I think there is a lot at stake in the early childhood space at the moment. I think following the election and fo- and and what's happening in various states and territories policy development, there's there's a need for a really strong and effective voice and about what's happening in early childhood education. And I think the professionals play, when you see yourself as a professional, you start to say, I need to step up into this space in order. So it's almost you're lifting your gaze a bit from the really important work that's happening in your individual room or setting, which is critical. But we when you're a professional, one of the reasons why it's important to see yourself as a professional, you start to lift your gaze to see the, con- the bigger context in which you work. And this is where we can have each other's backs. We can support conversations that happen about changing the nature of the sector more broadly so that we, in fact, end up best. Everything's better for everybody, so to speak, over time. We get better pain conditions. We get better um, respect from our community. And I think it also comes with a sense that 
there is a bigger purpose here. There's, it's not just about what I do um, with an individual child, and that is important, but there is a bigger thing going on here in terms of the well-being of a whole country, a whole nation. So it's that, I don't know, does that make sense? <laughs> it does, but I, I sort of wonder too, you know, we, we're, you're talking about stepping up as a professional and the, the thing is that we've got a lot of evidence that, that children's, uh, children's education and their, their well-being matters. There's so much evidence, it's international, it's all around the world. And then how can the professional then step up when we're not seeing as much change as we would kind of be hoping to see, given all of that evidence? In terms of the community dialogue about early childhood education? Yeah, like, you know, you're saying, okay, a professional has to step Mm -hmm. up. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you there. But we're also seeing a lot of evidence around the world all the time. If we all had a dollar for every new report that came out with the evidence to show that early childhood education does matter. We wouldn't have to work in the sector. We wouldn't have to work. That's exactly right. So what what difference can, you know, stepping up there and being a professional and using that identity, how can that support that? I think there's a lot in in being able to be a a articulate and, um, and confident. So confidence is a lot in confidence of that, that's connected to professionalism that can happen at a very local level. And it does give you an example of, of what sort of sparked some of my thinking around this professional identity just in recent times. I was with a group of about 120 early childhood professionals in suburban Melbourne. So this is, you know, in right in the suburbs, out, you know, in the suburbs. And um, I was talking about some of the discussions about early childhood education that had been happening in recent times, an election and a whole range of other things. And it struck me that the group of people there had were were not really tuned into that. They were not. They they indicated to me that they weren't really aware of any of the conversations or discussions that were taking place at a community level, at a political level. They were they weren't part of any organisations or unions or anything like that. So they were indicating that no, no, I didn't know anything about any of those things. They weren't aware of campaigns. They weren't aware of some other things. And I, it struck me then that should should we have a conversation about their professional identity and then the tricky bit in here is their professional obligation. So what if you mm. think of yourself as a professional, what are you then obliged to do um, ethically? You know, what are you uh, expected to do in that space? Then we could be having very different conversations with families and with the, commun- the very local communities about who we are and what we do and potentially that changes the dialogue across the whole country because you know they are the ones who are having a conversation with families about what they do every day and if they're not seeing themselves as professional and they're not stepping up into that space with a level of confidence and we could talk a lot about why they don't feel confident um, then again we're not seeing the impact of what what can happen in early childhood education is left to a bigger picture that potentially a lot of people are not engaging with Mm. Mm, so how did that conversation end up? Sorry, Lisa, how did that particular conversation end up? Well, you know, it was it, it made me think a great deal after that conversation because I thought, is this is this um you know, is is this malaise? Are we are, are people just so tired in their work that they work really hard during the day, they clock in, they work really hard and they go home and they haven't got room in their mind to think about the world of early childhood beyond what they do? Is it that they feel 
really not very confident to speak up. Um, and I think um, I, I was I was left with really fairly blank faces and a, 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 a an urging from me. <laughs> but I you know I feel like I'm it can't just be me saying this to you. You've got to always think think about this yourself. You know what do you think about this? Um, I think I left it with I implore you, you know, as a fellow professional, <laughs> to come and be a part of some of those conversations. But jeepers, I'm 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 a bit uncertain about about what that looks like. And then I think from the other perspective is that we we also have a little phenomena which is creeping in to our world and you see it a little bit on social media, which is a little bit problematic, where where professionals seem to undermine the the advocacy work that other professionals are doing, which I think, hold on a second, or should I, is this, this is, oh, well, in fact, can we say that that's a professional dialogue? I'm not sure. So it's causing me to think a great deal about the continuum of professionalism. Mm. So can we're all pausing say, now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was actually wondering, like, I'm quite a critic of other people's advocacy. Um, and I'm wondering whether I should feel guilty or not. But so, you know, I don't think so. I think I'm trying to I don't push think so. <laughs> advocates to go further. But I just want to culture shift to a different profession. Mm. And let's look at doctors for a minute. Mm. So if what you're saying is true, and I'm not saying that I disagree with anything that you're saying, mm -hmm. but if what you're saying is true then doctors have to do those things like stand up and put their names on petitions again, um, you know, about the treatment of refugees because that mm. goes against their professional ethics, etc. Mm. Um, but I think that many doctors would just do their job of being a GP and would never stand up any further but they wouldn't see that that doesn't make them a professional. They would say, I'm a professional, I'm a doctor. And I'm wondering, as you were talking, the only difference I could see is that the status and standing of doctors in the community means that even if they don't advocate, they are accepted as professionals by the community that they're in because, you know, doctors and lawyers are the archetypical professionals, mm, mm. is it that our sector doesn't believe in ourselves as much as what those one those professions do, therefore doesn't think we have the right to call ourselves professionals? Or... Mm. Oh, I think that's certainly got something to do with it. And I think the... Um, the and perhaps perhaps it's a it's an it's an understanding of of the 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 times that our profession is in you know we we've perhaps we've reached a moment in time where we need to say well there's something else that needs to happen in our professional life and this is a 2019 professional moment in time because the other the other profession i think of too is nursing you know that um there was a moment in time for nurses. My sister's a nurse, so you know I, I I've learnt all about the the processes nurses in their professional identity, the professionalisation of that sector, um, and the work that happened back in the 80s around about around a shift in identity. Um, perhaps there's a component of that in the mix, and I, I guess the other thing that's interesting about that too, is that um, if and and one of the things that I've 
keep referencing is because of my connection with the Early Childhood Australia Code of Ethics, is embedded in that Code of Ethics is an explicit um, invitation, and it can only be an invitation because it's a code you sign up to yourself, um, for you to advocate for the profession and the provision of quality early childhood education and care, and to advocate for the development and implementation of policies um, that promote early childhood. So embedded in this is is this sort of obligation or perhaps the better word is commitment and perhaps it's about it's about that and i think that the thing that i think separates perhaps your critique lisa of advocates and your pushing of advocates is that you're you are urging us to continue to be stronger and more articulate and and uh, be able to be um, clearer and clearer. I think there is a little phenomena out there of, in fact, us us not being able to find enough agreement to to and enough strength in our shared understanding of early childhood education and care um, to be able to sound like a professional group of people. We sound like we don't <laughs> sound like that at times. Well, um, I'm interested in what you're saying there Catherine with regard to that kind of alignment that we have but shouldn't the alignment really be around I mean it's it's hard to always agree on exactly what mm. is a pro, you know mm. what what it is about children's well-being that we're focusing on but I think that there is always an an understanding of um you know that ch- that that children need to Need to have some preeminence in our world mm. because otherwise we're we're not working on on the job that we're supposed to be working on. Mm. So where where does the alignment sit in that? Because that sort of links with our professional identity as well. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I, it, it strikes me that that success around professional um, professionalism and therefore the advocacy that goes with it has has a, has been successful when we have sought to to get some shared understandings we won't agree on everything and i don't think we we need to or ought to in fact we need to have some robust differentiate differentiation um but i think can we can we get to some shared understanding of expectations and the alignments happen by referencing some of the documents that we hold or some of the positions if you like that we hold dear you know the you know, we align ourselves with key ideas, but this goes back to an expectation of professionals being knowledgeable. So, yes, we need true. to know what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and so if, there is if, that if you, content yeah. knowledge there as well. You need, you need yeah. to have that content knowledge. Mm. How much of that do you need, and how much do you need of critical thinking to mm. to have this strong professional identity? Yes, and that, that, that's when we reach a really interesting point in our professional identity where we say. Is there a particular level of education that makes you an, a professional? Now, the way that, that, say, for example, the Code of Ethics treats a professional identity is that everybody's in. You know, if you think you're in, you're in. You know, you, you've you, and we've we've sort of treated that within the context of the national quality standard as to say you've got a certificate three and you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, one of the complexities for us in Australia is we have states and territories who do things differently. We have many, many employee employers, like hundreds of employers, and we also have a lot of diversity in terms of, of education. So we have people who've got a, a 
a, a short qualification and people who have got a master's level uh, qualification. So, or PhDs. Or PhDs, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Um, so we've got a lot of diversity in our qualifications. It is it is a very diverse space, I think, and therefore asking the question around what makes a professional is a really tricky thing to open up. But perhaps we should talk about it more. One of the things that I'd like to know, you know, what you believe is what, um, what, like what kind of um, things we need to do to improve our professional identity? Well, I think um, talking about it would, is, a, is a really good place to start. So having a bit more of a... Um, a bit more of a sector-wide conversation between professionals. Um, it, and it's almost like we want to say a CEQA leave the building, um, you know, uh, the government leave the building type of thing. We want to have a conversation with the people who consider themselves to be early childhood professionals without a, a conversation around who big, big organisations or employers. So it's about the professionals coming together to talk a bit more about it. It is sometimes the topic of conversation at um, at you know, professional development, professional learning opportunities, but perhaps it needs to be more often the conversation, the topic of conversation, who are we as professionals? Because I think that would help a lot of people when they do gather together in professional learning opportunities for a moment where they can talk about themselves, you know, as professionals. Um, I think it is also, uh, I know it's a feature of, of, um, of pre-service education, definitely a feature of that, but perhaps we need to strengthen that. I think the other thing that's interesting to me is that, um, and I note this in a couple of different states and territories, when you become a teacher in the state system, so you might be a South Australian uh, teacher and you join the South Australian government, uh, the Department of Education, you get an induction into the profession. So you get this special moment where you feel like going, congratulations, you've joined the profession. And potentially, this is what happens to doctors, not potentially, it probably does happen with doctors. You know, you get this congratulations, you're now part of the profession. It happens in teaching um, when you're a teacher and you're a teacher registration, you often get a welcome to the profession when you first join. But we don't have anything that really draws everybody into that space. So perhaps if we were all registered, Maybe that would change the landscape. Mm, that would be um, that would be very interesting, and you could get a would, new would, car with it as well. Like you could get <laughs> welcome to and a free set of steak knives. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and perhaps you know, after after a longevity, you could get recognition for your longevity of service. <laughs> I, I'm being a little facetious around the car, but I do I love the idea of people being inducted into into the profession in a way that helps them to kind of feel that that important presence so maybe that could be one thing that um but with that, the high turnover rates you'd be constantly doing induction inducting. You would. Well, you and who would, would do it whose who, who's responsibility is that yeah and especially um you know when when we are kind of saying that we want the that sort of self-determination in the sector so you have to have some of the people out of the conversation so you're right who does do who does do that induction We'll be right back. Are you listening to our Exploring the NQS series? If you're a supporter of the show on Patreon, you're not only helping to keep the show going, you'll also get access to an extra podcast where I explore every element of the National Quality Standard one at a time. 
It's a great way to get yourself up to speed with the NQS, uh, consider different perspectives and grow your own professional development. Each episode is only 15 minutes and right now we're in the middle of Quality Area 4 staffing arrangements. If you're enjoying this interview with Catherine on educators and professional identity, the current episodes of Exploring the NQS are a perfect way to continue that conversation. Just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click support the show in the menu to sign up and start listening for as little as $1 a month. With more than 100 episodes under our belt, we're now turning to our wonderful listeners for ideas and topics for future episodes. If you're doing something amazing in the sector, know someone who is, or really just want to hear us tackle a particular sector issue, just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click Pitch an Idea. All right, back to the show. We've probably all spoken to early childhood educators over the years who I think when they meet people who are, I know, as part of the profession for the first time they think oh my goodness I'm part of something and I, I remember that myself you know I went to I went to an early childhood Australia conference in Darwin and I for the, I remember this distinctly of of coming to and I met an amazing group of people at that conference it was like 20 years ago more maybe um, and I felt for the first time that I was with my people with my tribe I thought these are my people because they were they were strong and they were active and they were and they they even like they even swore which I thought was just like extraordinary at the time <laughs> I was so young and so naive um but they were they seemed to be radical and I seemed to think oh my goodness I didn't know there was people like this that existed in my profession and I felt like very much like I wanted to be a part of it if you are really if you are not part of some of those conversations, then you might not feel like you there's this thing you could join. You, does that make sense? Like you, yeah. you yeah. can't be part of something. And I, I'm not sure whose responsibility is it to say, congratulations, you're part of something. But I think my sister, who's a nurse, as I said before, she feels part of something. She joins, she's a thing you join, you're part of it. You know, and I think maybe yeah. there's not that sense out there that you're part of something, and I think it goes to the conversation around professionalism. Yeah, I, I, in thinking about that, I mean, sometimes when I meet some people, and they are intrinsically part of this profession. You know, they some mm. some young educators that I meet, and they just they. And they're in there and they're they're kind of, yeah, they're right there. And I think, okay, now I want you to go out and talk to all of those people out there who, because they don't want to hear from old people like, (laughs) you know, they want to hear from people who are their peers. And I just think that that is, that that's kind of when I see that, I just feel so joyful. And I think, get out there, keep, keep going, keep talking. And that's the only choice they have that they feel is to be part of this um, profession, but anyway, that was a bit of a side a sideline. I was going to ask you, um, with regard to the, you've done lots of work in services with lots and lots of educators. Mm-hmm. So, what's one thing that you would change about the sector to help them? Can I have other than wages? Mm. Other than wages. I was going to say, can I have wages and conditions? <laughs> they can um, have a they can have a car. We've already ascertained that <laughs> a car with the well, induction. I, I do, I, I mean, in all seriousness, we do need to keep that wages and conditions conversation very high up on the, on the, on that, in that conversation, because I think it, it, it serves, without that, it serves to undermine the, 
the identity, the professional identity of the sector, even though some people in some places at some times have managed to get pay parity with their colleagues in primary and secondary education, yippity doo da, but it doesn't happen enough and consistently across the country. So if I put that aside, so I'm, I'm, I'm having that as well. Um, in terms of, of professionalism, I, I think we, we have... The sector itself has to talk to itself, you know, in in the way that is uh, we've got a lot on our plate. There's, you know, national quality standard and a whole range of other things about in, a, in about about what we do, what we have to comply with. But perhaps the invitation is to is to talk to each other more about who we are um, and and how we act as a profession to make it a bit stronger uh, a stronger agenda item. Perhaps at staff meetings, at perhaps at um, you know, and, in, and that induction is also talking about your professionalism, and that there are opportunities for conversations across the whole sector about what it means to be a professional. Um, I think that helps people to to connect to the idea itself. One of the things, because just because I'm a little bit of a geek, um, I read. The, um, you're, in, the you're in the right place to be with I this. know, it's good, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's an interesting thing to do. When I when we got the new National Quality Standard Guide, the guide to the framework, um, I did a find, you know, like a, a, a process of finding yeah. words. <laughs> and um, and the, the professionalism, the word professionalism appears significantly more in the current documentation than it did the first iteration. So the first That's iteration good. had about... It is good. So, um, you know, I, I feel like going, we need to have we need to have those conversations. But see, I, when I'm talking away here and I think that sounds so wishy-washy. What does that look like? Um, and how do you how do you continue those conversations? I've taken it on myself to just keep talking about professionalism and keep – and one thing, perhaps a really concrete thing, is that we could say to every early childhood professional out there, never use the word childcare worker ever again, you know, ban those words from our mouths and say that every time you introduce yourself to someone at a party or you introduce yourself to the parents that you're meeting for the first time who've coming to, you know, have their child start at your centre, hello, my name is Catherine and I am your early childhood professional. Those sorts of conversations, I think, start to empower people to think about themselves differently. Mm. Good on you. Can I ask something that's a bit off professionalism, but I'm really interested because of your background in travelling so much over the sector and meeting with so many services throughout a year, you know, let alone the 20 years or 30 years you've been in the profession, I'm beginning to worry more and more that we're getting two classes of services we're getting a class of service that is um, does something good and then becomes renowned for the professionals they employ and they get more and more prof higher quality professionals working that service and their practice gets higher and higher. And then there's other services where the opposite happens, where people don't want to work there, where people work there with the lowest qualifications required under the framework, etc. Am I alone in thinking that? Do you see this happening? Yes, I see this happening. And I think there's also a 
because and I, I feel like this is a little phenomena that's that's just on the tip of, of occurring is that a, a casualization of our sector too so yeah. that there'll be a significant yep. amount of casuals working and that that in itself also erodes professional identity because if you're a casual then and and you don't feel like you're part of something you know a regular part of something then I think that starts to erode that but I, I would agree with you Lisa I think we've got um, we have uh, services out there who are um, you know, just if you think about it from a rating perspective, that's one way of thinking about it, you know, continue to be working towards and uh, over a long period of time uh, end up not being at a high quality service. And I'm sure that's disheartening for people. But also, if you are not well connected, then perhaps you don't know what you don't know. Um, it's possible mm. for you to be in a service and have no idea what else is out there? In fact, I had a conversation today with an early childhood educator and I said to her, um, I asked her whether she was connected to some of the key things. You know, do, do you get the newsletter from Asequa? Do you get the, you know, asking some of those questions? No, she's an educational leader and she's not connected really yeah. with some of those key things that help to inform her. So it's you can be, it's possible that you can be in a little bubble and I agree you get a separation of of services who are excelling, you know, doing an extremely good job and those professionals in there are maximising every opportunity known to humankind. They're like seizing it whenever it comes. And then you've got people who are at the other end perhaps who are very disconnected. And maybe that comes to that, back to that induction process, which I know we don't know who's going to do that, but there's that where people are connected into some of those opportunities. So mm. that, you know, you, this is... Here you are. You are part of a profession, and these are the things that you can draw on now. Mm. And we'll send you another. We'll send you another message in three months' time so that you can mm. draw on those things. So, mm. you know, it's almost inconceivable that an educational leader wouldn't be connected into a an, a newsletter from a sequel. But you're right. It, it obviously is, happens, and, and it obviously happens. And I think um, there is, and and also to who 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 says. I mean, this is another big question about professional identity too, is we do need people who are experienced in the sector to offer experienced professionals, to offer beginning professionals or people who are stepping up into those roles, the good oil, you know. We need to say to them, no, um, perhaps don't use Facebook as a source of uh, content knowledge because it's probably not going to help you out. Lead you might, it might, you might lead us, be led astray um, and perhaps don't friend the families on Facebook if you've got any families just time to delete your friendships you know and and all these sorts of advice you know perhaps you should be connected to this this bit of advice this bit of information and this newsletter who gives you the good oil you know who, who is now it might be someone in your service if you're lucky to have people who are well connected but you might be in a service where no one knows that and your approved provider doesn't also know it so therefore you never get that you never get the good oil about what's yeah. going on in your profession. How important is time as well in all of this? Because if we're going to be reflecting on our ourselves as professionals and keeping up to date, where does time play a part? Well, I think it's critical. You know, if we we also have a well, there we go back to pay and conditions um, that we also need to have conversations about how much of that time is available for professionals to develop. And I think the other way we can think about time is that it is over time too. Um, if we if we think about what 
Lillian Katz wrote about in the 19, in 1968, I think she first wrote about the stages of professional development for mm. early childhood professionals, um, that the first five years is survival, and then you go into consolidation, and then renewal, and then deep maturity. But it takes you, you know, a, a good 10 to 15 years worth of work to get to a mature level of professional identity. And we want to sort of give people again the heads up about that to say, take your time. Um, and that's why we need time to reflect and to have those opportunities where you can be with other professionals so that you can, and that's the importance of a network, is it not? So, uh, you know, in the olden days when I was beginning teacher, I had a, um, a network where I could, you know, as a 21-year-old teacher, heavens to bitsy, I didn't know anything. I hung out with all these other early childhood teachers on a Friday afternoon because everybody had the same time, planning time, um, which of course doesn't happen now. Um, but And we had time to do that. And I, those professionals helped me understand what I was going to be like as a professional because I got to hang out with them. And that was a critical network. Um, mm. and it was formative for me. But it, again, it is possible for you not to have that. In fact, I was talking to someone else today um, who said my, her, her educational leader time and her planning time had, been, had not been available for the last three weeks because they had staffing issues. And they oh, had needed right. those. So... Now that, so that has a, a big impact on the big. educational program and practice within the centre, doesn't it? And uh, there's there's um, great things, you know, that I often think of the uh, primary and high school teacher meets that happen in yeah. pubs. I reckon we need teacher meets in pubs. And I'm, I don't know that there's that many that happen. No, I don't. I, don't, I, th I think you're right. I, but is it is it because, Leanne, that the work is really hard and therefore people are really tired? Is that, is that what's think, going on? I think, I think that's the case for um, for primary and high school teachers as well. To, but I think sometimes it's the multiple responsibilities. It's the second jobs that people have to have. It's mm. the stratification of the sector. I think there's a whole bunch of reasons, but maybe we should just arrange a whole lot of teacher meets across pubs and see what But it's happens. also the, the differences in the amount of hours face-to-face. If you've got yes. only six hours face-to-face -face a day, like I, I noticed that preschool teachers tend to get together a lot more in yes, New South Wales yeah, than yeah. long daycare teachers because mm. if you're on a rotating shift week to week or day to day, then how can you organise that? Well, that's, yeah. yes, that's true, but then we have more young people in long day care, so they're probably more interested in getting to the pub on a Friday night. <laughs> Potentially. Uh, but we also, have to, yeah, and we also have to think about the fact that, you know, and I'm, I, I think, you know, there's probably been more research done about this than my anecdotal thoughts about this, but, you know, who also is encouraged to join the profession too is an interesting question. If you're not sure about what you want to do in your life and this and, and working in early childhood education is a is a, a sort of a, a thing you could do, um, you might be encouraged to do your a, a course so that you've got yourself a job, then, you know, that's when, and, you know, and hopefully from that we, people emerge who are really skilled and very excited about working in the early childhood profession. But I have had conversations with people who really don't want to be there, and it's it's a thing that they just thought they'd do. And I feel like going. Someone should have told you that it was a profession, and that you really shouldn't mm. join unless you really. And it's harder work than you think. Sorry yes. to say, which I'm um, sure you tell them at that point, do you? 
I do in the kindest way that I can. <laughs> because I think I think no one else has said that to them. No, I mean, they found themselves in charge of a baby's room in, in an outer suburban Sydney and then thought, I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. And then you say to them, and you've got to read My Time, Our Place, or you've got to read Early Years Learning Framework, and there's the whole range of a national quality standard. And, you know, they're going, hold on, hold on a second. Did I sign up for this? I didn't realise that that's who I was. And perhaps we need to be a bit more articulate with people. And that goes back to pre-service education. Um, yes. Yeah, indeed, and and it, and that's where it begins, doesn't it? So there should be a whole. I mean, I think there are components there around is. professional yes. practice, but maybe it's sort of getting that that deeper thinking on on that as well. I did want to ask you um, how you feel professional identity influences leadership in the sector. Oh yes, that's a very good question, Leanne. I'm sure you're well placed to answer that too. Um, so I'd be interested in your thoughts. Um, I, I think it is a critical part of this. I think um, I, I hear one thing, one bit of sort of thing that I've noted noticed is that there is a number of people saying to me, people are not stepping up into leadership. They're reluctant, or they're it's hard to find people who want to take a step up into that. And I, I, I've I certainly heard that quite a lot from people trying to recruit people into leading roles. But I think perhaps there is a is a connection between the way you think about yourself as a professional and your willingness to be leaderful, you know, in whatever role you have, um, that there is a deep connection between those two. And I think there is something when you when you consider yourself to be a professional, then leadership it becomes something that for me, I think this is what happened for me, that I felt that there was an impetus, there was a, a drive because I felt like I was a professional and I had that that really strong motivation to want to uh, change things for the better. And mm. then I saw leadership as part of the trajectory as my in, in terms of my professional identity. If you don't have a strong professional identity to stand on, then and then someone says, we want you to be a leader or you know, encouraging you to do that or even, you know, that you might not consider it even in your frame of mind, then it's difficult to step up into that. Yeah, so that, that's in thinking about that, then it's got to have that kind of very evolved professional identity there that you're talking about that then creates this opportunity for leadership as well and for people to emerge. Hmm, thank you. Yeah, I think so. Do it's a quest over time. Yes. I've got one last question for you. What three things can you advise, what three tips can you give people to reflect critically on their professional identity? Yeah, you know, so like, and also what three things would you like people to do as a, a you know, as a professional in the next week? Well, I think the first one would go back to that language, the language we use about ourselves. You know, how do you refer to yourself? Um, and, you know, I, I've at the lovely um, Anne Kennedy, who we many of us know, um, who I've worked with on the Code of Ethics and a number of other projects, um, she she uh, talks a lot about the idea of can we not use the idea of the girls in the baby's room, you know, and the girls up in the, on the um, you know, in the toddlers and the, the girls in the three-year-old program because that just, the language we use to describe ourselves is really tricky. And then the other I thing agree. that I hear some, 
And the other thing I hear all the time, and can we just all start to agree to stop doing this, is when people say, oh, I'm just a floater. I think, no, oh, no, 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 you're not a floater. I you're an early know. childhood educator and there's um, no just. I am yeah. with you there 100% and I won't, I won't say that more staunchly. Keep going, sorry. <laughs> so definitely have a think about the word. So it's this nomenclature idea of the power of the words that we use because if we describe ourselves to a, to ourselves and the people that we hang out with, you know, as just an early childhood educator, then people will go, oh, yeah, well, you are just that. And I had to work really hard on my family to try and get them to, to say, oh, Catherine just works with children. No, 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 she doesn't. You know, so she's she's an early childhood professional and trying to get, you know, my my language right and then helping other people to have the language right. So that's one thing. Make sure you talk about yourself in using those words. And I guess it goes to, um, is it uh, Dr. Jane um, Osgood talks about um, professionalism being as being an act. You've got to sort of, you do have to do a little bit of fake it till you make it. And you mm-hmm. might think, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, you might think, oh, I don't want to say that I'm a professional because I feel like a bit of a twit saying that word because I don't really feel like one. And I, you know, I don't really, this word is uncomfortable, but I feel like just have a go, see what happens. And when I'm with educators and I pull them up on that, that juster, you know, they, people start to self-regulate and go, oh, no, I'm not just, am I? That's right. I'm an early childhood, you know, educator. So I'm an educator and people start to feel it. So the more you say it, the better you'll be at it. Practice, <laughs> practice. Um, so that's one thing. I think, I think I- any way we can lift our gaze from what we are doing in our, in our immediate space with the with the children that we work with, which is really important. So we want to make sure we do that. But just from time to time, if people can be encouraged just to lift your gaze a little bit and have a look and see what's going on in the bigger early childhood space. So this is about connecting to the places and people who are talking about early childhood. And if you don't know who they are, then go out and find them because I feel like we are a very generous sector. So if someone was to ring you up, Lisa, and say, who should I talk to about this? I'm sure you would say, no worries, oh, I'll connect course. you. Yeah. you know? mm-hmm. we are very gener- we're very generous with that. So I feel like I, should, I want to say to everybody, just go and ask people for information because we are a generous sector. When, when asked, I think we do respond and we help people out. So lift your gaze, find a little, a few people, talk to people who are in the sector. So that'd be another one. And I think a big shout out to approved providers to um, make space for professional conversations, not just about anaphylaxis and um, and sunscreen and, you know, which are really important, of course. We absolutely want to do those things. And the quality improvement plan, yes, 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 all of that. But can we also make room for professional dialogue with each other about our professionalism? You know, can there be space in the professional learning calendar that gets to talk about who we are and what do we believe and what do we think about ourselves um, beyond what uniform we're wearing, but how do we behave and what do we believe and how do we present ourselves to the people that we work with? If it could all be done by next week, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> well, t- time is the critical thing here, isn't it? Because what you're, I mean, you're, you're offering so many great 
and wonderful um, ideas and thoughts there. So thinking about how that can then, how time can be created when you're talking about things like the approved provider providing that time and uh, in allowing that to, to um, evolve within the centre, is it's fantastic. Mm. Yes, it would be great to see. And I think we would see a, a different thing going on, um, grassroots conversations about who we are as professionals. And I, I, would, I would welcome that conversation. I think it'd be very exciting. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. Thanks to our guest for this episode, Catherine Hyden. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazza at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.